Zion Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Has anybody ever been on a missions trip? Well, today is your lucky day. We have a very special guest. He is Corey Trenda. He's worked with international and humanitarian organizations, and he has also led cross-cultural trips to dozens of countries. A senior director for World Vision, he's the author of... Our special book here, After the Trip, Unpacking Your Cross-Cultural Experience. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Interesting subject. Is this an area where Christians kind of feel a little guilty? They hear missions trips. They say, well, I've never been. <laughs> uh Probably, uh, but I will say that a lot of people have been, um, probably about two million a year. And I was just reading something today that if, if you throw in all of the uh, uh, high school students that go, it might be more like three and a half to four million a year. So it has become apparently the number one <laughs> topic uh, to talk about in college applications for why you know, how this trip made me a different person, et cetera. So but an awful lot of people are going. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, and I mean, it sounds good. You ask people, they have a good time on the missions trip and then they come back. I mean, I guess if this is like postpartum, uh, part of depression after the trip, what happens after the trip? Do people either feel like they forgot about it or guilty or that they're not doing anything anymore? And what happens after the trip? And, and why did you name it after the trip, <laughs> the book to begin with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, though, very good. Well, People go on these trips, generally speaking, they they want to be impacted by the experience. And you've probably been, you know, tapped uh, by uh, by young people in your church saying, hey, please support me uh, to go to go on a mission trip. 
I really, you know, think it's going to be a, a life changing experience for me. Um, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing that uh, people go with that desire to find out more about what God has for them, you know, uh, hear God's voice, uh, meet people from another culture. But study after study, and, and uh, uh, quite a number have been done by missiologists as well as by educators, looking at these trips, change is just not happening. Uh, people are not changing the way they um, pray, the way they spend their money. The way they give. Exactly. <laughs> the way they, their commitment to missions or to, you know, the work of the kingdom of God. Um, and the same thing is, has been, has been, has been true with uh, uh, study abroad programs as well and various service learning trips that universities do. So this is a big issue. It's a real tremendously missed opportunity for the kingdom, I think. And uh, the fact that people come, come back and they want to declare it life-changing um, rather than, you know, rather than mock them because, you know, statistically it's happening so rarely. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people, consider that a prayer. Uh, consider that the desire that you have. And now let's talk about what is, what do you need to do in order to actually make that happen? Because if you don't, if you don't do something, um, it just won't happen. Well, that's true. I mean, people go on these trips, and I guess is it kind of like the new version of going to Europe and 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 finding? I mean, usually if you're in high school, you know, see the world, kid, and you have a little bit of culture. And then as a Christian, this is a way of developing culture in you, or to care about other people, and not just think about. Uh, is everyone called to do this as Christians? As some people have a calling, but not everybody. And uh, should every Christian go on a missions trip? Well. It's not to me. It's not about. Uh, it's not even about the trip. That is. That's become a very popular way. It's about to, after the trip. That's <laughs> well. <laughs> yes, right. Um, it's become a very popular way for people to uh, kind of try to become global Christians. Um, right. Try to understand other cultures. Um, but interestingly, one one study even showed that a year after your trip, it's just as likely that a person will be more ethnocentric as less ethnocentric. Hmm. And uh, uh, so what's the problem really that's arisen is not the desire that people have to go. Um, but we are not equipping them to really understand what it means for to incorporate these experiences, to really interpret them and weave them into our ongoing lives. How, how does it actually, how could it actually impact us? That's a lifelong journey. That's not a, a thing, you know, you can't look at a trip as a magical kind of experience where, you know, the trip changed my life. That's, you know, they paint that picture though in the church. They have great videos and the emotionalism and, and you know, I mean, it starts there, right? <laughs> exactly. That all you have to do is go and this is going to happen to you. And, and that's where we've really missed the boat. It's not something that happens to us. It's something that we choose to interact with after the trip um, for a lifetime not just, you know, coming back and, you know, telling the story of how you, you know, sweated through all your clothes and 
I didn't take a shower. I ate, I ate uh, this muddy, uh, I don't right. know, I lived in a mud hut. But, yeah, yeah. But that's true. I mean, some people are for real. Like they're they're all in. You know, you get like a, you go to a seminary, you see a husband and a wife, and they talk about it, and uh, they're really living this life. Uh, do people really want people there? I mean, what what do you think about the um, folks? Maybe that you know they don't speak English, and uh, you have to learn another language. Do they want us there? You know, um, they they appreciate often uh, the fact that somebody cares enough to come. Um, the way these trips are done uh, is often uh, is often not good developmental work. It's not we're not really empowering people. Um, but there have been other books that have been written critiquing these trips from that standpoint. My goal in this book is really to say, um, okay, there's a phenomenon happening. Uh, there's a, there was a story I talk about in the book, uh, NPR did a, did a story, uh, some years ago on what they called volunteerism. And they interviewed a, a tourism operator, an American guy now living in Guatemala. And he said, you know, 20 years ago, it was basically beaches and beer. You know, people wanted to come down and, you know, just to drink and, and go to the, go to the ocean. Now they're saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I'd like to do something meaningful. I'd like to help out. What, what can I do? I think that's, Michael, I think that's a fantastic thing. I, I, I think that's a wonderful motivation for people to get involved. So how do you get started in this when it comes to, you know, the mission trips and working for World Vision and how many years you've been doing it for? I was kind of minding my own business uh, in the early 1980s, uh, working for IBM, who, you know, back in that day, IBM was kind of the, you know, the Apple and uh, Microsoft uh, and uh, Facebook rolled into one. And uh, it was an exciting field. Um, but my, my father actually died at age 40. Oh, my. Aneurysm in his sleep. Wow. Morning. And they told us it could potentially run in families. So now I'm in my, you know, early mid twenties and I'm thinking, what happens if I die when I'm 40? I, you know, well, I have a sense that my, my life made a difference. Mm. And that really drove me to, to say, you know, maybe I should ask my creator what, what, what I was created for. And that led to a lot of soul searching. It led to me sitting in church one day and, and this kind of terror came over me as I prayed that one more time. And I thought, oh my goodness, what if, what if God actually tells me, you know, <laughs> then what am I going to do? You know, right. am I, am I going to say yes? Am I going to say, well, Hey, thanks for the advice, but I've got a pretty good life here. Do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life? Or are you going to come back to me? <laughs> right, Steve? Yep, yep, right, exactly. And uh, so I, as I, as I did some more kind of searching back on, in my life in the past, I'd always had this passion, uh, and it had played out in a number of ways, and I realized that my, my gifts and skills were, were in business and things, but my passions were over here with the human condition, and uh, it was like an epiphany for me, I wonder if organizations that do the kind of thing that I 
you know, can do them good at or, or do the kind of things I care about. Could you and change the world while you're at it? It's been a wonderful journey. I left IBM to join World Vision in 1982. And uh, I worked for them basically through the 80s. And then I worked at a series of smaller organizations for several years and came back to World Vision in 2002. So I've been in this kind of work for 35 years now and uh, have, have been taking lots of people on lots of trips over the years. So. Can I borrow some of your air miles, you know, to go to Israel maybe? Or you can go to Israel. I've never been, you know, and, and I want to tell you, Corey, I've never been on a missions trip, you know. And okay. uh, so uh, I'm halfway there, as they say. And uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I would like to go. I would like to go to Israel in particular. But um, so I guess that's the way to do it. But um, well, you know, there's Michael, I think we all have these experiences in our lives. I really try to avoid using the term missions trip in the book. Because that kind of paints a specific thing. We all have opportunities to have cross-cultural encounters, right? Uh, it might be with the people who live next door to you. It might be by doing a volunteer thing in the inner city or uh, any number of ways. And so in the book, I try to pepper it with stories from my own experience uh, and often mistakes from my own experiences. But I'm, I, I make sure to, to, to include some that were very powerful for me that were that didn't include you know going overseas or or that kind of thing because these experiences happen in our in our our life on an ongoing basis and I think they happen because God intends for us to have those experiences and if we're really going to be stewards of what God you know entrusts to us we need to take these seriously and, and really see them as learning opportunities and, and opportunities to expand our understanding of God, uh, the kingdom of God, and uh, what we are to do with our lives. So once again, unpacking this whole thing, you know, unpacking your cross-cultural experience, uh, the name uh, after the trip, the book. So name like five things, if you will. How about that? That this begins to, when you begin to unpack, number one, you take your clothes out of the suitcase. Well, okay, that's one. Number two, you take a shower. No, you take a shower. Yeah. But I mean, what, what are some of the things that were, you, you, you really think are the most important to unpack in your book? Well, you know, there, there are a, few, a couple of things. I want to I back up for a minute. It's funny because I actually use a motif at the beginning of the book about, uh, uh, about packing up, what, you know, to leave, to come home. And what are you going to put in your suitcase and what doesn't really fit you anymore? And uh, <laughs> what do you want to make sure that you bring with you? You know, there, there, there is this kind of this preciousness uh, to it as we kind of decide what, what are the lessons and experiences. But I guess the first, the first thing I want to go back to saying this idea that we can't look at the trip as, as something that's going to perform magic in our lives you know, it's, first of all, we have to kind of have this mindset. The first thing we need to do, if you will, is to shift, shift our mindset and realize, okay, this is something that is going to take me some time to really understand. And I'm going to be, I'm going to have opportunities over time to have memories come flooding back into my head. What am I going to, with those memories? Am I going to be, here, here's what happens. For a lot of people, they, they're afraid of those memories because you get back, your regular life starts up again, whether you want it to or not. You've got to, you've got to go back to school or you've got to go back to work or you've got to 
live your life and change diapers and do the things that that we do and and there's there's going to be this you know this collision between living my life and the, the you know ordering a drink at Starbucks and the feelings everyone that I had. On, everyone picks on Starbucks. I, I went to <laughs> I went to seminary and the president of the seminary said, you can either have a coffee at Starbucks or you could come on a missions trip with us. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard that before. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. You're right. It is, I guess, because it's so ubiquitous and it's, um, it's so clearly a want and not a need. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we not get really. back and we, <laughs> and we say, uh, we, and, and so then we start deciding, okay, am I going to feel guilty when I go to Starbucks? Um, or, and I, or am I, am I going to let that go? And, and, and over time we just decide, look, I've, I've got to make some, some, uh, compromises in my brain here. And, one of the easy compromises we make is that we're just we're just going to write that off as a one-time experience and you know I did that I did it for God and you know now I you know I can go back to kind of living my life and kind of forgetting about that or just looking at it in terms of some grand experience so but really seeing it as oh this is something I need to steward over time you know in terms of these experiences that I've had and the lessons that I could learn often it takes me 10 years to really the pieces to really come together for me and for something to, to truly impact me. Okay. So that's number one. I'm giving you too long an answer. here. That was one. <laughs> well, okay. So that's, well, well, if I had two things to say, one would be your mindset, shift that mindset and realize that it's, it's on you uh, to make this a life changing experience, right? If that's what you want. And then secondly, I do provide a number of, a, a number of tools that people can use. One, just to, to give you one, um, they talk about uh, picture windows, finding a way that we can talk about a trip um, by by telling one story. You know, we people come back and uh, you know they say, "How was your How was your trip?" Or or you, Michael, you you say you haven't been on one of these kinds of trips, but you know you come. You, 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 somebody comes back to church and you say, well, hey, you just got back. How was your trip? And you're kind of afraid to ask because you know that they're really going to struggle. They're going to want to, you know, kind of regurgitate, you know, 20 things that happened to them, you know, and, or some thing where they can be seen in a positive light personally or, you know, some clever top 10 list of things you're never going to remember. But what what I've found over years and years of trials and error has is that if you can find one story that is illustrative of some of the issues that impacted you, and some of the some of the um, in, you know the encounters that you had through one specific encounter with one specific person, let's say, or one one group, a group of ladies who you know, we're lending each other money or, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a child who, who was, uh, who had cerebral malaria and was, uh, was, you know, was got the medicines they needed or somebody who, who didn't somebody who was, who was dying and you prayed for them, but it, it felt so helpless. It, it, you can tell your whole story in a meaningful way in the one or two minutes that you have, by 
uh, you can tell your whole trip by telling that one story. And it gives people such great handles for intelligent questions to ask you versus, well, what kind of food did you eat? Or, well, how was the weather uh, when you came back from your trip? Have <laughs> you seen any good movies? You're playing sports? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Hmm. And the other thing it does is it gives you kind of a touchstone yourself to kind of come back to, oh, yeah, you know, when I think of that trip to Zambia, I think of Oswald. And, um, uh, and I remember Oswald. And my wife, my wife was, was saying the other day, you know, yeah, I wear this bracelet. Uh, it reminds me of Angela, who had been abducted by uh, the Lord's Resistance Army uh, guerrillas in Uganda. Mm. And now she's doing this ministry, you know, et cetera. And um, so those things become really important for us as well as for other people. Well, we have to develop somehow, you know, I mean, as, uh, as people, as Christians. And I know that uh, a, a cross-cultural, cross I won't say mission strip, cross-cultural experience, right? There you go. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> so now you, so you have on page uh, one hundred six, and I just I'm just going to read this here because you say spending time with the poor moves us from sympathy to empathy, knowing and understanding someone's needs, sorrows, or challenges, and knowing another person is the necessary precursor to loving them. Jesus doesn't ask us to focus on helping our neighbors first and foremost. He calls us to love our neighbor. So in as much as we love ourselves. So I thought that was interesting because, yeah, when people do talk about how much they help on a cross-cultural experience, if you will, you know, you have to, you have to grow and develop. A, a lot of times when you see that, that cross-cultural, how different it is, uh, I'm sure it does change you. It makes you appreciate really what you have here. Uh, but then there are those people who feel like they're really led to, to leave the, the United States. And they feel like to go to a land that uh, they don't know. And that must be exciting for, for you to see that. And then lastly, are these kids uh, in church, and adults too, are they really prepared before they go on a missions trip or, or cross-cultural experience? Well, the, uh, do, do people that go on short-term mission trips become career missionaries? It, it, it's not happening the number of career missionaries has been stagnant for about 40 years. And wow. uh, this, this short-term missions phenomenon has happened in the last, oh, maybe 20, 25 years. And, uh, and there was early on expectation that it really would change career choices and, um, uh, you know, the, the amount of money that people are using, you know, supporting missions work, et cetera. But, but none of that is happening. So that's, that's the great, uh, pity of it. Are we preparing people? Well, we're probably not in some ways. Uh, there is a, this kind of American mindset that uh, to go over and be helpful means to build something or to have some kind of experience rather than, you know, there's a, there's a group out there that works on college campuses and they've been very involved with th these things that colleges call service learning trips. And the idea is we go and we serve and, uh, and we learn a little bit and we come home. And they've really turned it on their head in a way I think is, is exactly what I would agree with, which is we should be calling them learning service trips because the learning is mm. what we should be doing. We I should, agree. Be, we should be encountering people. We should be spending time with people and understanding how they live their lives, understanding their, their value systems, understanding what makes them uh, cry, what makes them smile. And, um, and 
and really, and then coming back and, and understanding, you know, what their challenges and issues are. And then coming back and our service happens then. The service happens when we actually have now met some of those people. We understand their issues a lot better. We might come back and say, you know, like my daughter did after she was in the Peace Corps for a couple of years in Jordan, I need to get a master's degree in Middle Eastern studies. Um, and other people will come back and say, you know, I want to be involved in supporting, you know, uh, organizations that work in Jordan. Or I want to come back and start a prayer group around issues in the Middle East. Um, there, there might be a number of things that people do, but the doing is really something that needs to happen a lot more when we get back. And the, the learning needs to happen a lot more when we're there. So changing that paradigm from I need to go and build something. You know, people say to me when we go on a, on a trip, you know, with World Vision, well, what, I mean, what exactly are we going to be doing? I mean, you know, what, what <laughs> and, and that's what, that's kind of what they're asking. And that's right. not, that's not how we do trips in World Vision, by the way, because of this very thing. We really go to meet people, to understand what's happening, to understand what the issues are. Uh, other, other organizations do that as well, but it's certainly a minority of them. Uh, that said, even though I would agree that we're, we're not, you know, doing everything we could to prepare people, at least 50 books have been written, I'm sure, on, on short-term mission trips. And every one of them that I have ever found was about what to do before the trip to be prepared and what to do during the trip so you don't, you know, mess up and do something. Well, that's know, interesting. I see this is the first time. Books. Yeah, go ahead. Well, this is the first time I'm hearing about that. I mean, only because maybe, you know, I'm just going by the, um, maybe I need to get involved more, but you know, but the, I'm just going by the videos that they show in the churches and it's kind of just about, you know, going and doing and the, and the, the slideshow and what happened and the music right. underneath it. And then, so, you know, you, you kind of think, okay, how much preparation is there? And uh, if these uh, adults or, you know, teenagers are underdeveloped somewhat, you know, how are they really going to be prepared uh, for what they see or to, to make a difference? Or uh, maybe they could have a false sense that they're more mature Christians than, than they really are, or maybe theologically, I don't know. But I mean, just, I like what you said, just getting to know the culture and to know, understand uh, how people live and how to love them. And that, I, I thought that was well put. There is, um, there, there is a, a challenge here. Our, our missions pastors and the people in our churches that put these trips together, I mean, they have to deal with putting together a trip that people will say yes to. And, and so if we have these core expectations, if we have these expectations that are predominantly around what's it going to do for me, you know, what kind of experience am I going to have, that really makes it difficult for uh, the, our missions, you know, leaders and trip leaders to put together a trip that's going to be the most meaningful for the people that we're there to serve or most meaningful really for us in the, in the long term, because basically it's just what, you know, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, I want to come back and show pictures of me sliding in the mud and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they're good. I like that they're, you know, they're they're well done, but it's just, 
you know, I, somehow I just um, I'm wondering if there's another angle to it all or how to get people involved or or what happens. But I mean, you're you're painting a good picture. You know, the people go and either way you're going to grow. Right. Either way, you're going to preach the gospel or maybe, uh, you know, share Jesus with people. And, and it's uh, I, I hear what you're saying. There's some uh, trains of thought that if uh, you know, how prepared are people or, you know, if you're not saved, even should you go on a on a missions trip and maybe that will the Lord can work in your heart and, and, and develop something. And then uh, maybe you could even be saved on a mission trip, you know, perhaps, you know, but I, it's like going and singing in the choir and, and, and not being a Christian. And then you, then you become a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And we've all, we all know stories of that as well. Yeah. What I, I the only point I was trying to make there was, I think, uh, you know, it would, it would be easy for, uh, for us to criticize uh, mission leaders and say they're not doing a good job of preparing people. But basically, you know, like we need to give them a break and realize that we need to really think about what it is we're trying to we're trying to accomplish and who's who we're trying to, you know, bless uh, when we go. So one thing, Michael, that might be helpful to you is um, uh, organizations call them different things. Uh, the mission trip kind of has this this connotation of what you'll do and you know that kind of stuff. Uh, World Vision calls them vision trips. Other organizations call them insight trips. Um, I think, I think there is something in a name, um, and some of these other names have not been kind of, uh, you know, kind of simplified down into some of these things that are going to lead to maybe poorer outcomes. Because again, the, the whole idea here is, you know, people go on these trips in significant measure in order to, to be transformed to some degree. And uh, people like me and like missions pastors get involved in this work in order to be involved with the transformation of, of lives. And so I think that's a wonderful motive. And I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize that. I think it's, we, we have moved into uh, a, a, a society that has the potential to care more, the potential to understand uh, God's kingdom better. It's just that we're doing a terrible job of living up to that potential. And so I'm hoping that this book will start a conversation um, and that missions pastors and others can use it with their teams to really see the kind of transformation that, that they want to see happen and that, and that people say they want to see happen by going on these trips. That's my driving goal in life. There are lots of ways that I do that or don't do that. And uh, we can use these trips as a major absolutely tool for people in lots yeah. of different ways. And speaking of IBM, you know they do a good job on uh, television of of making it seem like a missions trip. You know they say we're in uh, you know Colombia with a coffee bean and a blockchain, and they go to different places in Europe, if you will, and they show how we're all connected. Yeah, that's that's great. That's another thing that's happening in the world these days is corporations, you know, getting more engaged in that and people who say, I don't want to go to work for a company that's only in it for the profits. I want to find one that's, that's truly impacting the world. And the, this generation is doing a good job of kind of expecting that and corporations, if, if only to attract the best workers are, uh, and hopefully for more more meaningful uh, reasons than that, we work with some wonderful uh, corporate uh, partners uh, to um, 
are are engaging in more of that. So there's lots of ways that people can be involved. Even you know if they take a corporate career, yeah, I could have I could have perhaps stayed at IBM and been one of the people who says. Or there are a number of consulting companies uh, out there who who will give you a year off uh, to go you know uh, consult for a nonprofit. What a wonderful yes. opportunity to use your wow. gifts and skills, right? So there are lots of things that we want to see springing up uh, as a result of the world growing smaller and the fact that people want to engage uh, across cultures. It's a beautiful thing. We have to work something out between us because we have some sponsors in the program. Maybe we can like, uh, you know, a couple of years, a free sponsorship, a trip to Israel, with <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it, but before we do, I want to ask you, Simon. I no, hope no, listen. You, you have to. You, I want you to take comfort in the fact that I too have never been to the Holy Land. Okay, <laughs> we got to go. All right, wait, wait a minute. After this, yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll together do. here and talk about it because you know I really want. I really want to go. I have to go. I feel like I need to go. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate you writing the book and in all your life devoted to this, as far as uh, vision trips and helping uh, young adults, adults alike, and grow in Christ. And Corey Trenna has been a special guest. The book, After the Trip, Unpacking Your Cross-Cultural Experience. And as it says in the back, the trip is just the beginning. Can a one-time cross-cultural experience truly be life-changing? Veteran trip leader and intercultural guide Corey Trenna says, yes, if we let it launch a journey of integrating the experience into our ongoing life. So this is something a must if you ever wanted to go on a missions trip or cross-cultural experience or vision trip and all that. Get the book and, uh, and uh, grow, and, uh, and we're going to go to Israel together, and we'll let uh, our audience know how it went. Amen. Right, amen. <laughs> amen. So, <laughs> yeah, God bless you, and thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. 
Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.